again, different perspective. I think they have a very active uh, developer community, even mm. though if from, a, I just actually looked it up last week, uh, from a developer community size, I think they're in ninth or eighth place. So they are, don't have the biggest community. But I think if you look at the projects that have been developed in the crypto gaming area, in the decentralized app area, etc., etc., Polygon always comes up. Hi guys, my name is Marcel and I'm here today with Markus Dalka. So we will speak about uh, your life, how you came into the blockchain space. And of course, what's my first question? What's your catchphrase? Um, yeah, I guess uh, it's, it's probably going to be um, opportunities are like buses. There mm -hmm. is always another one around the corner. Um, because uh, in my life I had a lot of, uh, let's say, situations where um, I thought this was the only opportunity, you know, to build a great career or to build a great venture. And then, you know, after a certain time I realized uh, it wasn't, you know, like there's, there's always an opportunity around the corner. I guess you can say it's uh, glass is half full mentality, but I guess that describes it uh, quite well. Yeah, I think we will learn much more about this. In this episode, uh, let's start with your childhood. Mm -hmm. Where have you been raised? Uh, in the wonderful Eifel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm from the Cologne region. Mm -hmm. um, I was born and raised in the Eifel. Um, obviously, Cologne was the next city. Uh, so at the first opportunity, being 18 or becoming 18, I, you know, uh, I escaped <laughs> the Eifel. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a big... Um, how do you say a lot of friends are still in the in that area in cologne Düsseldorf. um i studied in bonn so i've that that's basically the the home area i would say yeah was there a lot of nature or was it more like cities all around uh i guess you can say the eiffel is pretty much nature <laughs> <is it? laughs> to take a positive angle uh, at it yeah um you could also say there is not not a lot of things happening after eight o'clock in the evening. So uh, I guess Cologne and Bonn, uh, you know, were the, the cities where I was drawn to uh, mainly. But yeah, there's a lot of nature. And as a kid being raised there, um, yeah, you spend a lot of time in nature. Hmm. And for maybe young people out there, what are you doing in nature with Im imagination maybe? So what you're playing then in, in the nature uh, path then? Um, so in my childhood, we when we spend we spend a lot of time obviously in in the woods. You know, mm. you uh, you see a movie like Robin Hood or something, and then you you know you, <laughs> I was I was always uh, like a you know like a cost, costume guy. You know, I had mm. a Spider Man costume and a Batman costume, <laughs> and um, yeah, you you see all these movies. Um, I was as a child, I was very keen, uh, you know, watching different kinds of movies, and then you you basically you know play those movies like in the woods and you go outside and you have these wooden you know like swords and you fight like knights and all these kind of crazy childhood things mm, yeah. sounds super amazing <laughs> you created your own metaverse yeah. in a way <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll speak later about that um when was maybe the first time you used a computer so were you not only nature oriented but also technical oriented 
uh, yeah, I pretty much uh, remember uh, it was my, my aunt. She she had a 486. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually she had a 386 for work. She was working for Procter Gamble in the logistics division. She had a 386, like a big, you know, like these big tower, like gray tower kind of computers, uh, with you know no graphics. I mean, there were graphics, but literally no graphics at all. You know, it was all like yellow and and black. And um, I was fascinated uh, by it. And she she showed me the computer, and that was the first time I used a computer. I played a lot of Prince of Persia on. A 386 and a 486. <laughs> yeah. And how was it? Was there a wow moment, something like that, that you realized, okay, that's a, a super, super practical device? Or was it like, as a kid, more like, oh, interesting, let's, let's, let's try it out? I probably, you know, I was probably around five to six years old back then. So it was really like more of a playful approach, mm. I would say. You know, uh, I was fascinated for some reason. I was fascinated by the floppy, you know, the floppy disks mm-hmm. and their workings and that you could put in something and then. Hi, guys. If you like the episodes, don't forget to like, subscribe and share it with your friends. There is a program. There is something on that, something you put into the computer and then something happens in the machine. I'm pretty sure I didn't approach it that conceptually back then. It was for me just a, you know, an interesting device that enabled you to play games and immerse yourself into basically a different little mini world so to say mm-hmm. yeah. let us speak about school mm-hmm. did you did you like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um partly yes uh partly no i've always been um uh very good in in languages and um uh i guess you can also say both on the analytic side and also on the language side so Anything in regards to to languages was was really my favorite uh, favorite things to to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I took Latin. I'm not even sure if you have that anymore in schools, but uh, I took Latin really early because I was fascinated by the like the logical approach of it. You know, like you take different parts of words and then you combine them and they give a completely different like semantic, like a different meaning. So uh, I like that quite a lot. Um, so languages. Uh, mathematics uh, partly you know like i'm i'm a person that asks a lot of why questions and for a lot of things you learn in school i wasn't able to find an answer to the why question why do you have to learn it uh, so i guess you can say partly yes i liked it partly no i didn't mm-hmm. and would you say it hardly depended on the teacher or more on the, the subject uh I am a people person, I guess you mm. could say. So I was, uh, I think it rather depended on the teacher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty good point. Yeah, I think it pretty much depended on the teacher because also, you know, reflecting on it, um, I had German classes and English classes where I didn't like the teacher so much and then it wasn't that much of a fun. So now that you say it, actually, I think the... Today, I also live by, um, you know, follow people, don't follow concepts. So I guess there is some kind of link there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Probably but the teacher. Have you maybe one teacher in mind that was really good at uh, what he or she was doing? Um, yeah. Greetings to Frau Breuer, if she's listening. 
um, yeah, she was a German teacher, mm. uh, but uh, she also, I think it was German and mathematics. And uh, I found quite interesting, you know, that she was on the one hand, she was doing this language, the German language. And then on the other hand, she was also a mathematics teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, so there was a lot of logic behind both cases. So I think, I guess, yeah, if I think about it, she was, uh, uh, she had an impact there in, in guiding me through the school time. Did you, um, besides of learning and, and subjects, did you like the concept of school uh, to, to go there and learn together with 30 other people or how did you feel about that? Yeah, I liked it very much. Okay. Yeah. For a long time um, after the initial school period, you know, like mm. the first school years when you go on to a gymnasium and, and all this, uh, I also envisioned as one option to, you know, do an academic career. Um, I didn't follow it, but I guess we come to that. Uh, but yeah, I liked it. I liked Perfect. it pretty much. You already mentioned it. What happened after school? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the first year of school, I um, uh, I needed orientation because I I didn't know which way to go. To be honest, I knew roughly, you know, the some some of my strengths. I knew what I liked. I knew where roughly my passion was with languages, with people. Uh, but we were not really prepared for what what was coming after the school phase. Um, so I did a lot of experimentation. Um, I went to these professional consultancies that guide you. You know, they ask you what what kind of strengths do you have, and uh, they show you different like professional careers. And um, but you know the the issue back then already was that. I'm not too much aware of what all my strengths are because school didn't prepare. So um, I did a lot of experimentation. I went to University of Cologne uh, and I started to study psychology uh, for two semesters um, because, as I said, I roughly knew that you know something with people what I liked. So I started psychology. I, I started to study um, information technology. Uh, and that was a really weird combination. Psychology and information technology mm. was uh, was crazy um, in, at the University of Cologne. So it was very, 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 very theoretical. Um, and that was the reason why I didn't continue it because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a vision of what I can do later on with these theoretical concepts of systems and you know people's minds constructs and all these kind of things was too te theoretical so i wanted something hands-on uh, so i switched to um, management courses at the university of cologne but again the university of cologne uh, was not my type of thing it was like hundreds of people uh, you couldn't really um, digest what you learned the day before so i switched to the university of bonn and there i studied business administration till the end and made the bachelor there mm. yeah. Were there some interesting internships in that time? Or have you done inter internships? Um, the biggest internship was that I played a lot of tennis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I did a lot of sports, but I didn't do an, an internship um, until uh, the last semester. It was a six-semester studies mm. at the University of Bonn. Uh, and until the last semester, I did a internship at uh, L'Oreal in Düsseldorf in the marketing department. Um, before I experimented a little bit with a student consultancy, but 
uh, no other internships uh, before. It wasn't designed that way, interestingly. Yeah. You already mentioned sports, so how was your life as a student? <laughs> ah, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good old times. It was a good, a good, a good old times. Um, yeah, I played a lot of tennis. Um, uh, in an, how do you say, amateur, so mm. non-pro level. Uh, also in the Bonn region. Um, we played in the, I don't know the English term, but in the Verbandsliga partly. Um, so tennis was my sport, uh, always. I tried football, but um, I don't think I'm made for it, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, yeah, tennis tennis was, was really the thing. Uh, played it a lot. Uh, also Germany-wide, I loved that, uh, you know, you, you can play tournaments and you can play together with other with other people, uh, so it's a good mixture of team sport and single sport. Yeah. Mm. Now you have finished your your study at this part or the half then. Mm. Uh, what was the decision making process after that? Did you know what you want now to do after after you studied? Uh, I did because the internship mm. at L'Oreal um, showed me the the shiny world of marketing. Mm. <laughs> um, now what I really liked because it was a marketing internship. Um, L'Oreal is a big corporate, you know, like a, a big corporation. And um, I was fascinated by the international aspect of it, uh, by the different career paths you could take, different countries. Um, marketing in the end is nothing else than relationship building and, you know, like uh, interacting with people in a certain way, um, enthusing people in a certain way. And this is what I really liked. So the internship showed me, okay, I want to do marketing um, because it's very people related. Uh, it's very communication related, obviously. So that was the springboard for uh, my path in marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super, super interesting. Of course, you know the people are waiting for one of the most important topics: blockchain, cryptocurrencies. When was the first time you heard about Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other? Yeah. How the hell did this, uh, you know, L'Oreal <laughs> guy end up in blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> um, The first contact was in 2016 mm -hmm. um, via a friend. Uh, I knew that he was doing something with this coin stuff for over, I don't know, a year or so, but I didn't dive into it. We didn't talk about it really. But then we met in Frankfurt and um, I asked him, you know, what, what exactly are you doing? And he told me about Bitcoin. Uh, and I think that was the love on first sight moment, so to say, because we talked about Bitcoin. He, He basically gave me a rough, let's say, an executive summary, if you like, mm. of the, the Bitcoin white paper, so to say. And then afterwards, I, you know, I jumped in, like reading and learning about the technology, uh, what it actually, what the purpose is, who did it, what kind of impact it currently has back in 2016 and all these kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Was the first step uh, also investing into it or when or came that later? I was thinking about it uh, when 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 we talked. Um, I think the very first moment I was really intrigued by the idea that it's a person-to-person, -person, almost secret kind of way to to do transactions. You know, um, so people interact with each other without someone someone mediating it. You know that that I knew it. Back then, and I know it's a different business model, but I knew it from you know the rough ideas of Napster and all these kind of things, like the peer-to-peer -peer idea. 
I think was crazy. And now this peer to peer idea is transferred to the financial world, you know, that was crazy. But the first use case for me personally, of course, was investing in it. Yeah. How do you see nowadays Bitcoin, Ethereum and all the other altcoins? Do you like one more than other? Or of course, there are a lot of people who only like Bitcoin, who only like Ethereum. What is mm. your opinion? From the potential point of view, I have a clear opinion. Uh, I think Bitcoin is, is king and I think it stays king. Uh, in regards, I mean, you have, it depends on which perspective you take. From a market cap perspective, from a size perspective, from a, let's say, impact perspective on the broader world. In re, you know, like how, how much are people, what do people see first when they think about cryptocurrency or when they hear cryptocurrency? I think Bitcoin will be the first point of contact, so to say. I think um, if you look at the, let's say, top 10 after market cap, right? So some altcoins like Polygon or Ethereum that you mentioned, um, I'm really versatile. You know, I don't, I'm not a Bitcoin maxi or something like this, you know, uh, I don't do cool red eyes on Twitter or something like this. Um, I think there is uh, really beautiful things, impactful things in, in the different chains. No matter if it's if it's L1s uh, or if it's L2s that use Ethereum or so, uh, I personally I'm especially since last year a Polygon. Uh, you can almost say advocate because pff, I think technology-wise Polygon is crazy. Yeah? I think there's a lot of future potential in it. I think every technology, every chain has something in it. Every project, um, and they can learn from each other, right? At the at developer communities, so. If you like, tell us a little bit more about Polygon. So why 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 does this project excite you yeah. so much? Again, different perspective. I think they have a very active uh, developer community. Even mm. though, if from a, I just I actually looked it up last week, uh, from a developer community size, I think they are in ninth or eighth place. So they are don't have the biggest community, but I think if you look at the projects that have been developed in the crypto gaming area in the decentralized app area etc etc polygon always comes up mm. you know like polygon um so the one thing is the active developer community the other thing is obviously the broad use cases that it that it can be uh, that it can be used for um the second thing is i think it's the strongest uh, layer two uh, uh, there is yeah um because it uses ethereum's uh benefits yeah but uh, just as faster and all these kind of things um i like that the the polygon foundation is extremely active at least to my perception um in investing in different projects also from my closest let's say network point of view uh they also um they think about building on 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 polygon uh because the, their sdks are really simply structured uh so the access point is really, let's say, intuitive to use. Yeah, you don't have to dive in really deeply to, uh, like, take a one-year course in how to develop with a Polygon or so. So there are a lot of things with it. Mm, I agree. I think uh, I know a lot of projects as well, uh, even from from the traditional banking side. Um, yeah. We're looking at Polygon at the moment, so we're looking forward to what happens there in the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, maybe let us speak about how you came from a professional perspective into the blockchain space so what are you doing today what are your responsibilities yeah um 
at some point, and this point was by the end of 2020, mm. I said, you know, my private passion, if you want to call it like that, you know, um, looking into blockchains, into technology, investing, talking with people in the space. On the one hand, it was all private, yeah. And then on the other hand, I started my own marketing agency at the beginning of 2020, yeah. Um, by the way, I can only recommend, you know, one day before a global pandemic to start your own business is... That's <laughs> really cool, really easy to do. Um, so I had this marketing agency um, that I was consulting mainly with two companies with in regards to brand strategy, uh, awareness building via LinkedIn, especially um, via social media. So the professional path was there. I was self-employed at my agency. Privately, I had a deep passion for the space. And then end of 2020, I said, okay, you know what? I, I'll just combine it. Um, so um, I would say from the beginning of 2021 on, there were more and more so-called so Web3 projects. And with Web3, I would really cluster it into any project that's you know going into the metaverse direction, in the NFT direction, in the blockchain-based direction, crypto direction. So um, middle of 2020, 20, sorry, 21 on, uh, there were a little bit more projects in that space. And today, I would say I still have the agency, of course, which is high Web3. I would say it's like, 60 40 or 70 70 30 roughly like the relation 70 web 2 30 web 3 so and i'm building on it mm -hmm. so. can you tell us a little bit more about how the process is structured for example how you help clients uh let's say okay now i'm a client and come to you so what can i expect yeah sure sure so there are mainly i would say two pain points roughly that clients approach me with either they are a native web3 organization mm. yeah so they're a crypto gaming company or a crypto company uh, yeah outside of the gaming space um the one point is to tell a story a strong story yeah every project needs storytelling um no matter if you want to approach investors or if you want to build a community so get get people into your project you need a great story yeah and um, I learned this uh, pretty much uh, at L'Oreal and at my you know, professional life before to tell great stories that align with, with a brand strategy or a corporate strategy. So this is the one thing. They don't know how to attractively tell a great story. And the other one is uh, to build awareness. Yeah? How to reach the people that you want to reach for your project. Uh, what are the mediums? Like what are the channels? Is it social media? Is it not? Is it offline? Um, what kind of messages should you send through these different channels um, to enthuse people and, and, and attract here. Yeah? So it's storytelling and awareness building. These are the two main pain points. And then um, um, I, work, I work mostly with teams or also on an individual basis. It depends on the company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You already mentioned the metaverse. Mm -hmm. um, in my eyes, there are two other hot topics, DeFi mm -hmm. and NFTs. What's your personal ranking of those? I think just from a personal experience, mm. being involved in it, and from a storytelling perspective, uh, I would say I'm rather drawn to the NFT space and, of course, to the metaverse space or the virtual, let's say, virtual and augmented reality space. Um, DeFi, I am very, very interested in it, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert in it. Yeah, um, I'm diving more and more into it. Um, but um, I know that there is a huge potential in it. Yeah, I, I fully understand. I mean, if you see banks, and I mean, you're the, you're the expert on it, but if you see banks, uh, you know, realizing that this DeFi thing 
may be disrupting their whole business model in their industry, then uh, I, sh I think you should pay attention to it. So I see the potential in all the three. My personal knowledge level and expertise is, is definitely rather in NFT and the metaverse space. Mm -hmm. Let us talk more about NFTs and metaverse. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of use cases do you see there? So let's start maybe with NFTs. I mean, it's very broad, right? So mm -hmm. the I'm taking Starbucks as an example. Starbucks is probably the first, the, the pioneer in um, or pioneering a loyalty program with NFTs. Um, Reddit, I think, did a great job as a as a social media platform, if you want to call it like that, in regards to not saying it's an NFT, but it's a digital collectible. So community building with a digital asset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, This is the second thing. So loyalty programs, um, community building with a digital asset. Then you have this whole, I always call it um, rather like the Web2 stuff, you know, like event ticketing that you do with NFTs. Uh, you can just transfer it super easily when your ticket is an NFT. Um, token gated stuff you know like you get access to an event with a with an nft let's say the rather uh the rather pragmatic stuff yeah um i think in the future uh especially with nfts uh when you need transparency and and the proof of of authenticity uh, no matter if it's you know like um, your your personal id or whatever it is i think nfts can play a really really big role uh there Hi guys, if you like the condom, you'll find more podcast episodes with other blockchain experts on this channel. So if you like, just subscribe. I think also for for brands, um, offering people a completely different experience with NFTs, yeah, um, in regards to your NFT represents, for example, part of, of a new venture brand that a, that a bigger corporation does, you know, uh, so you involve the community in a completely different way, mm. yeah. Um, I think this is a this is a huge case, and in, in gaming, of course. Um, I mean, I'm personally a gamer, as I said. Uh, you know, uh, playing Prince of Persia really early on. Um, I think in gaming, from my perspective, it's in, inevitable to uh, maybe we don't call it NFTs because parts of the gaming community hate NFTs. It's totally okay that we call it digital collectibles. But if you think about a World of Warcraft character or a Uh, uh, some other avatar in, in a game, uh, your Fortnite character, whatever it is, that you build over time and then you sell it or you exchange it with someone. I think in gaming, NFTs will be huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just a rough, rough thing there. Um, with the metaverse, again, um, I think it, so. Metaverse, in in my mind, is a is a is mixed reality. So combined virtual and augmented reality, but also pure virtual reality and pure augmented reality. Yeah, this is all for me. Metaverse. Metaverse is connecting a physical space with a digital space. Any experience that connects the physical with the virtual space is for me a metaverse uh, stream. Yeah, just to define it for from my perspective. And if you define it like that, uh, obviously we are talking again about community. Brands, corporations can offer completely different experiences with it. Yeah, no matter if it's events in the virtual space, if it's um, interactions with a product you see on the shelf that suddenly you see, um, just from the top of my head, right? You have a shampoo uh, at the DM shelf, yeah, and you you scan it, and the augmented experience shows you the whole way how the the shampoo is built. Yeah, suddenly like a mini uh, production line shows up, and it shows like how the 
you know, like the it's it will be a completely different experience, yeah, um, for consumer brands and and for any brand or corporation that interacts with 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 clients in a certain way. Um, for the public sector, I think I'm I don't remember if it was Abu Dhabi or Dubai that opened like their Ministry of Economics uh, in the metaverse, so people go there and they can do all the stuff they usually do in a uh, in the physical, you know, like uh, burger office, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, they can do online um, in the virtual space. Um, I think in regards to uh, customer engagement, customer service, uh, people maybe in the future, you know, they don't interact with a chatbot; they interact with an avatar in a in a in a virtual space. Um, there are so many different things. Uh, but it's always, for, from my perspective, it's always experience. It's always experience-driven in some way. Hmm. Yeah. You you already mentioned events, mm. so uh, to jump into that, you're mm. doing one event by your own. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Accidentally, I'm wearing the. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. accidentally. <laughs> it just happened. No. Um, yeah. Together with uh, with uh, my business partner um, Tan Tan Dao, I'm doing the High Web Three event. Um, we started this uh, this year in September, beginning mm -hmm. of September, and our mission really was and still is to 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 be an on ramp for as many people as possible uh, into the Web Three space. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it always was a like a full day of of event. We had different speakers from different areas, uh, NFT, metaverse, um, uh, uh, tokenization uh, projects um, that uh, inspire the people that are there. Um, we uh, we always wanted to have a family kind of feel, yeah. So we had between forty and sixty-five with the last event people there. So that people can exchange each other, get to know each other, uh, tell their their stories with Web three space, um, and also be inspired by the by the speakers. Um, and um, yeah, we plan to continue to do it because it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun. And then afterwards, you know, on the day uh, when you see all the people like there and exchanging, it's it's one of the best feelings you can have. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we plan to continue it, uh, and uh, yeah, I hope it it uh, it will grow to something really impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like your event. Yeah. Now, now is a tough question. How do you think you could maybe use NFTs in the metaverse for your event? Do you see some opportunities in two thousand twenty three for that? Uh, yes. Um, we were almost thinking about an own NFT for <laughs> for, for Hyper Web Three, but we mm. we uh, we stuck to the Po app, right? Mm. So we had the Po app for both events, so so a certificate of of participation, basically. And we were thinking about maybe we do an NFT that people have certain benefits in the future mm. from. The obvious thing is to have a reduced price of the the future tickets, right? Um, um, uh, but maybe, you know, in the future, if we, we had crazy ideas, you know, we were thinking about maybe doing a, a DAO at some point. We were thinking, although that's, a, I know that it's a lot of steps and it's not as easy in Germany as, as one might think. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the NFTs, basically a membership certificate, yeah, with, with certain benefits, with utility. 
with metaverse um i definitely see a big use case yeah that in the future we have um for the people that can be present in frankfurt where we do the event uh they have the live experience but then also maybe for example in spatial we do like a live live stream of, of the event yeah and people can participate with their avatar they see the speaker that's currently speaking on a big screen but people can also interact virtually with together yeah for the people that are not there um uh, yeah i think uh, we will do something around that in the future mm-hmm. if i take a look back um maybe three or four years i would say 2017 18 maybe 19 there were a lot of technical and financial guys mm. in the space i think in the last two years it has changed a lot mm. i think a lot of people from the marketing sector moved into the space uh, because of nfts and the metaverse specifically what do you think um, will that help a lot blockchain define metaverse nfts um, explain to the public because i think the the marketing sector should be the best to to explain it more more broadly right yeah i see my personal mission mm. uh to function as a as a bridge basically yeah because communication was accompanying me through my whole professional path yeah communication is what i can do best uh there is a lot of things i can't do but communication i can do so I definitely see um, a mission there for the marketing people, uh, communication people that, that enter the space to be as a bridge, yeah, for let's say more technical, maybe uh, more technical finance products and projects to basically translate that to, to, a, to a relevant bigger audience. I don't have the illusion that I can speak about certain, especially decentralized finance topics the same way like like someone who's an expert in it yeah who studied it who has project experience so i clearly see marketing people in that role mm. yeah um and hopefully be authentic with it yeah i see a lot of colleagues as well <laughs> who, you know uh, buy one nft and then they are nft uh, strategy consultants you know i i also see that as a as a certain risk that um people do not understand the depth of the space what's really needed to understand it and really to communicate well you know they as i said yeah they they, they see nft and then they jump on the train and then they wonder like six months down the road oh damn i need some technical experience to translate it and to communicate it so but yeah i see it as a i see marketing people in that communication role definitely do you see some risks with nfts as you described, if, if the guy or if the advisor is not or doesn't have the knowledge in that area? Yeah, sure, fully. Um, the way my mind works is, you know, I, I do not speak about something I do not mm. have a certain level of knowledge of. But that, that, that's just, you know, how I, how I mm. approach things in the past and went quite, quite good with it. Um, I see the risk, yeah. I see the risk of, of misinformation. I see the risk of, uh, with NFTs especially, I mean, we have a very good example with uh, Mr. Donald Trump launching his NFT uh, recently, like la- last week. These kind of NFT projects we really don't need. You know, it's a pure pump and dump kind of thing. And I think NFTs can be much, much more, have a much bigger and, and greater impact than just represent the guy that 
you know, like does this like Superman and then after three days, the, f the, the floor price dumps and th these kind of NFTs we don't need. But the risk is that people s see this project because it's a popular person doing this project and then they think, okay, so NFTs is this, mm. someone does something, I buy it and then I lose or win money. Mm. This is, I know this is how it started, but I don't want it to stay that way. You know, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too. I think we need uh, real use cases for NFTs, and then it can ha can help really change the world or a lot of things we are doing. Yeah. Um, maybe let us move on or back to your more private life. What was maybe the biggest obstacle in your life that you have to overcome? I would so professionally, I would probably say that um, you know I've spent a lot of time in. Uh, rather fixed structures, meaning corporate corporate environments. Yeah, I started with L'Oreal mm. three and a half years. I went on to Kao, which is a Japanese cos, uh, consumer goods company. While this this experience was very valuable for me, I learned a lot. But at the same time, it was always like rather fixed structures. You know, um, uh, there was always a safe net. You know, um, this is how how corporate structures work. Um, And the last three or four years in my corporate time, I sensed this, there has to be more, you know, like I, do, I, want to, I want to build stuff, I want to have a greater impact and all these kind of things. So I had this urge in me to, to, to do more, but I had absolutely no idea how, you know, you think about being self-employed, but then there is this super high risk. Um, what should you do? Is the market, market accepting it? So the last years of my corporate time, I was really struggling internally because I had this urge. I wanted to do more, a different vision. I want to take my professional in a different direction, but absolutely no idea which, which direction. And that was a really strong tension field. Hmm. And how did you solve it? <laughs> of course, most importantly. I didn't. That's why I'm still in the corporate structure. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, I, as, uh, as basic as it sounds, at some point the urge was so strong that i just did the first step and it was a small step because um i took two or three months off didn't do anything um and because i had some savings on the side so i went out and i first i did it step by step i first felt how it was to not have a fixed income coming onto my bank account every month you know that was the first thing so you would take this fixed structure basically away and you see, okay, the world is continuing to turn, okay? So it's not as bad as, as I thought before. So you do the first step, you take one fixed structure down and then I started to think about, okay, what are, what are my strengths, what are my passions and where is the market? So these are the three things and I try to, to basically overlay them, yeah? And in the middle for me was this brand consultancy from a guy that, spend a lot of time in corporate structures but um, um, and had a lot of brand knowledge but at the same time was let's say very flexible because I also spent some time in startups so I understood the startup world while also applying all the tactics from the corporate world so this was my sweet spot and then I just started as a single person you know I talked to some old uh, friends and 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 people in the network and i i basically did the first iteration so to say an mvp if you like 
did a small project, some money came in, and then it starts rolling, you know, like it's really a step-by-step thing. And before I think the my mistake was that I saw it as a super huge thing, being self-employed, being not in fixed structures. I made it that huge that I was basically paralyzed to do the first step. So, and when I did it, I took down the fixed structures step by step. That's how it worked for me. Amazing. (laughs) 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 I I would really say that uh, one of the first times I listened to to an explanation like that and could really imagine how it was and and to to understand the feelings in that time as well, right? Uh, Because I think feelings is something that most people underestimate Mm. uh, specifically uh, for those decisions. Um, and was that at the same time your greatest success to overcome that challenge? Yeah, 120%. <laughs> um, yeah, because I did I did also an exercise that I, you know, for anyone who, who thinks about, you know, jumping out of the fixed mm. structures, I did an exercise that that's not mine. I wish it was mine, but it's not uh, by Tim Ferriss. Um, and it's a worst scenario planning. Like you, um, you take, you, you think about the step you want to do, you think about the what's the worst worst case that happens then you think about the middle case what if you know only one thing happens but maybe also some good things and then you think about the best case scenario so we have this mind set on these different scenarios and then you jump and that's what i did and then if that works out it's the best feeling because you you overcame a very big personal barrier and you have the feeling that it was in a structured way because you had these scenarios before. And then, you know, like like in the A-team, you know, Hannibal uh, used to say, I love it when a plan works. Uh, this, this is the kind of feeling you have then. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest success. And if you speak more about your personal life, so if you have to give your younger self maybe 16, 18 an advice, what would it be? Watch out for Bitcoin because it is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and put some money in it instead of uh, spending it for ten beers in a Saturday evening student party. Um, no, yeah. So uh, um, I think the advice I would have is to be more trusting, um, to trust. To trust the process, basically, because uh, during my studies, um, uh, I, I I love I, I like st- structured approaches, right? So I'm a planner, um, but now I understand that plans can be set, but it's also important that they are adaptive to the circumstances they you know they encounter. Um, and um, I would say that you can be more trusting trusting that even if one thing did, doesn't work out or if I don't know what the next 10 years happens, it's totally, it's okay. Like I said, you know, opportunities are like buses. There's always another one around the corner. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, it's more to be more trusting in the process, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mean with that even to be more patient? So to be really patient, maybe... You never know when the time will come, but there will be the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. Patience has a lot mm. to do with it. Yeah, not only trust the process that there will be a new opportunity coming around, but also be patient until it comes around. Mm. Fully agree. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, patience probably is, not, is still not one of my strengths. <laughs> I can agree <laughs> from him neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now we are at the end of 2022. The crypto market or the blockchain space, maybe not in the best shape at the moment. What do you see maybe for blockchain, for NFTs, metaverse in 2023? Um, I think... As the saying goes, uh, the bear market is for builders, right? So I think in these three in these three areas, now that the people are out who are solely in the space for for value gains, for for money gains, um, these people are mostly not there right now because there's nothing to gain. Um, so it's for the builders. So I think in all the three spaces there will be great projects coming up during the next one or two years yeah uh, so for me the bear market right now is like a filter mm. you know it um, it serves as a filter to bring out the, the projects with the real potential um, so I, I do see a lot of potential in it um, I think what we will also see is more of a even stronger conversions of the different areas yeah that they come together that it's not okay so this is a metaverse case this is an NFT case this is a DeFi case but that it's more that they are more interacting with each other. Yeah. So um, NFTs play a bigger role in virtual environments. Yeah. And maybe the virtual environment and the NFTs are, are based on the game mechanic that's, that, that has decentralized finance or GameFi, how, how it's called, uh, also elements in it. So that the more that there's more convergence with the spaces. I think this is the, these are the two things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for you personally? Uh, to build stuff. <laughs> um, first of all, to continue what I started, especially in 2022, uh, to, to get to know people in the space at a very rapid pace. Yeah, um, per week, I I get to know s s like at least three interesting people. Yeah, I I approach them. I ask if you want to have a have an exchange over a digital coffee or a live coffee. I definitely want to continue that. Yeah, to build my network. The second thing is to continue with High Web Three to to create a basis for people to get to know this wonderful space. Yeah, uh, it sounds maybe a little bit romantic, but I really think there's so much potential in the Web Three space. I think as many people as possible deserve to get to know it the right way. So to build that that on ramp, to build that community, um, and the third thing. Uh, there are some things in, in motion right now uh, for me personally as a next step also in the space. And I hope uh, that they turn out as I imagine them to turn out right now. Yeah. Going from a purely self-employed position to maybe, you know, uh, building a company in the space. Sounds, sounds really great. Yeah. Uh, the last question. So where and what is maybe the best way that people can reach out to you? Yeah. Um, the best way probably uh, will be to uh, reach out on LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, sometimes too active. Uh, it feels like 25 hours uh, there, but uh, this is probably the best space. Yeah, just uh, look me up, um, send me a connection request. I'm super happy to accept. Um, I'm also responding to messages there, uh, even though uh, the messages can pile up there. <laughs> it's not very uh, a good overview, but this is the best way to reach me. Perfect. Then, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for... It was a pleasure. ...being a part of it. And, uh, yeah, thank you. So, guys, see you in the next episode. Bye.